0: If you have been paying attention, you will know that we have been using the days between Jesus' resurrection and the celebration of Pentecost, which happens next week, Um, we've been using this interim time to wait on the Holy Spirit, to take a a, a pause and give him room in our lives. Uh, We're not meeting on the 5th because we're going to go and join these 10,000 other Christians at Big Church Day Out, so this is the last in this series on waiting on the Holy Spirit and uh, each Sunday we've been focusing on a different aspect of the supernatural life and I, I think these are important for us to take on board it gives us a moment to check how we're doing to check how lively our faith is or how dead inside we really are um, and the, the, the first week we looked at the gift of tongues and we looked at what it was and what it wasn't what, uh, um, and how you sort of get it and how you keep it and how important it is for our private lives. And hopefully you've been encouraged to speak in tongues in your private lives and your, your private devotions have been helped by that, the the week after, we looked at prophecy, and we looked at how prophecy uh, was for the um, for the congregation, for all of us. That you bring a word, and what it does is it helps us. We hear it, and you go, "Oh, I'm glad I had that." I heard it. I took it on board. It's supposed to be encouraging and edifying and and Paul makes that very clear. And and so we heard about the gift of prophecy and and last week we looked at the rather tricky subject of evangelism. You know, we're all a little worried that Kev's going to send us out door to door knocking and we're going to have to queue up with the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons and uh, the window cleaners and and, and try and send unsolicited mail through your door. we sort of uh, hopefully took a step back and allowed the fact that the Holy Spirit directs our steps and the Holy Spirit directs our words. And the Holy Spirit directs the stories of the people we're talking to. And so it was like this decompression of, you know what, let's not get so uptight about it. Let's allow the Spirit to do his work because he is at work. He's bringing people and calling people even as we live our lives. And I hope we've allowed these sessions to inform and inspire our walk with Jesus. Um, The idea is that we're not tossed around by doubts, we don't really know what we believe, or impotence, my goodness, where you have that sort of uh, religious, religiosity, where someone's just all legalistic and their faith is cold and dead, and you look in their eyes and it's like some sort of fish that's uh, past its expiration date and uh, where our faith is lively and contagious and something that other people see and go I would like that because God has great things for us and he wants our relationship to him with him to be dynamic and helpful and so it seems right to end this series on the most critical bit of our spiritual activities I wonder what you think that is Well, um, in the story, this is an actual picture of Moses that I was able to get. um, In the story of Israel's exodus from Egypt, and that's kind of our series that we're going to return back to, there are these beautiful moments of encounter. There are these. Uh, hypnotic occasions where God interfaces with man in a a very real sense and there's that moment where Moses meets God at the burning bush and he takes off his sandals and it's holy ground and it's it's something that uh, um, is is magical if I'm allowed to say that Um, and that point that place on that mount is something that Moses returns to again for encounters with God. And he meets God again after the exodus. and it's there that he meets with God, and he gets these uh, uh, guidance for good living. He gets these uh, ways to live in a way um, that uh, brings fruit. And he gets them on these stone tablets. And these first edition stone tablets come down with him down the mountain. And then all the Israelites have got a little bit distracted, got a little bit bored, and then decided to worship some other gods or to hedge their bets and see uh, if they can touch a bit of wood, check the tarot cards, and see what their star sign is. And and Moses gets obviously upset, and the tablets break. And now I'm going to read to the bit where the second editions get made. So Exodus chapter 34 verse 4. And so Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord had commanded him and he carried the two stone tablets in his hands. Then Lord came down in the cloud and stood with him there. Everyone say stood. Stood. He stood with him there and proclaimed His name, the Lord. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God. He's slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. And yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished and he punishes the children and the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation. And we get this sense of God's righteousness, his goodness. Uh and uh, just his power. And so, um, and then it goes on into verse 29, and this is the bit I want to focus on. I just want to give you a bit of context. I don't want you just uh, uh thinking one thing when it has a larger picture. And verse 29 says this, When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant of uh, law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant. Why was it radiant? It says, because he had spoken with the Lord. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant, and they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them, so Aaron and the leaders of the community came back to him, and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him, and they gave them the commands that the Lord had given them on Mount Sinai. And when Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. And But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out, he told the Israelites what had been commanded and they saw that his face was radiant. Everyone say radiant. radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back into his, on, over his face and he went to speak in with the Lord. So we have Israel's leader, this man that was called by God. And he talks with God in this time of prayer and presence. The encounter is so impressive that uh, Moses' face reflects the glory of God. That is how near he got to his heavenly father. And that glow continued as he descended the mountain. And so we're given this picture of the Lord coming in a cloud of this great wisdom that needs to be preserved for the generations and an incredible radiance that Moses captures and continues to radiate even after he's left God's presence and it's an invitation to us. The meeting of God is not just a remote possibility but it's something that we're encouraged to look out for. To meet God is desirable. It's something that is part of your created DNA. It is beneficial. You do well and better when you meet with God. Each of us does better when we encounter God Almighty. And it is something not just to relegate to whenever we can fit it in, but it is something to chase after and pursue. To meet with God is something... It should excite our hearts and go, I'd want that more in my life rather than less. And this invitation comes again and again in the Old Testament. Again and again, these rascals and scoundrels encounter God and their lives are changed. We get this wonderful moment when Isaiah uh, gets this picture of God and, and, and it just fills the, the, the text, one of these wonderful images that you want to be part of and an audience to and you have Jacob and he, and he wrestles God and, he, and he, he gets this blessing that he demands and there is this moment when Aunt Elijah ascends to heaven on these fiery chariots and these moments of encouragement your God is supernatural and he wants to meet with you and you do not know where this would lead you but it is something to long for, to desire for And so it's no surprise with all that Old Testament heritage that when God comes, when uh, he is incarnated as man, that this subject of relating and meeting God is on the agenda. And Jesus makes it very clear that regular, intentional, time-consuming prayer is a valuable discipline. It's not just supposed to be uh, a flare we keep in our back pocket that we send up when things get dicey. It's supposed to be a part of our daily lives. And so on the Sermon on the Mount, on when when Jesus kind of lays out much of his teaching, when the most important aspects uh, of his thoughts are laid out for us and brought together, God gives us clear parameters as to what prayer life should look like. If you've got a Bible, turn to Uh, Matthew chapter 6. If you've got a pew Pew Bible, it's page 970. So it says this in uh, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray... Everyone say when. when. And when you pray... And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans or some of the people on the God channel. For they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. It's not a point of my sermon, but I've underlined that. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. It's a lovely thing, something reassuring. I don't know how to ask God. I'm not sure whether I'm allowed to ask. And God goes, I know what you need before you open your mouths. Verse 9. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. That's the bit I'd like to leave out if I was doing prayer. That thing about forgiveness, you're like, ouch. Ouch. But Jesus' main point here, the the point that is easily to uh, miss, is that prayer isn't supposed to be a big drama, and it isn't supposed to be a theatre of language. It isn't something that you do to impress other people. That's Jesus' main point. He goes, when you pray, it's not some sort of show and tell. It's uh, between you and God, not you and your audience and God. But his teaching makes some other points as well. Um, we're to find time to pray. We're to carve it out of our lives. We're really good at filling our lives, full of all sorts of stuff. Everyone is busy. Retired people are busy. They haven't even got a job and they say they're busy. Uh, uh, people uh, all over the world are full of busyness. And Jesus says you need to carve out time to pray. You need to find space in your daily routines, free of distraction, and talk to God. You need to relate to him. Not to everyone else, not to the church, not to uh, some online ministry. He says re- you need to relate, just you and God. You are to focus on his glory. Get a glimpse of his magnificence. Get a glimpse of his purposes not your purposes not your agenda not the little things that you want to happen but his grand plan you need to concentrate on your basic needs if you're struggling for heat and light and food it is okay and good to bring those up and go God I need to eat it's good to focus on forgiveness I wonder how long we spend time working for all the people we need to forgive I've got a feeling that most Christians probably don't dedicate huge amounts of time to that because those people deserve our resentment and the deliverance from evil not i want more of it god more opportunities to sin i want less opportunities and these are the things that should inhabit our prayer life and if genuine if we do these things because we actually want them rather than someone tells us to or uh, we want to look good god will reward us he will give us the desires of our heart. Sometimes it's in this life, and that we kind of want that, don't we? No one wants to be particularly rewarded in the next life. Everyone's like, I'd like it now if I'm going to get a reward. Um, we're like little children. and uh, uh, But there may be, you're doing all this for an eternal reward, and it's going to be better. I know no one believes that, but... It's going to be better in eternity to be rewarded then. I wonder if you've ever tried that, Taking these points that I've made. Just by sheer force of will, I'm going to pray like Jesus teaches. I set my alarm every morning for 6am. Early session, start up with God. You know, good intentions abound. My alarm is there. I'm not going to wait up my... Uh, family, I'm going to go down and spend some serious time in prayer. I'm going to be speaking in tongues and prophesying, be reading the Bible. It's going to be awesome. 6 a.m. comes and I suddenly occurs to me that 45 minutes is plenty of time and that I can have 15 minutes, uh, Kip. You know, 45 minutes is just as good as an hour. You know, 45 minutes of quality time with Jesus is fine. Like, Jesus isn't going to uh, um, resent that 15 minutes that I've shaved off, right? By the time I finally get up, the house is full of noisy children. They are expecting some sort of sustenance and they're irritable and annoying each other and arguing about what should go on the TV and making a mess downstairs in the kitchen. So I go, Jesus, these children need food. I can't pray right now. I will, but let me feed them first. And so we get out our huge array of chocolatey breakfast. I don't know how we've moved on to that, but anything you can put chocolate on, we've got it to give these children some sort of sugar rush, so that only the teachers get that sort of a downer afterwards. And uh, um, so you feed the kids uh, these lists of chocolatey breakfasts, but I'm like, you know what, still what, 30 minutes with Jesus is going to be pucker, we're going to be sorted, you know, I'm still better than most Christians, man, 30 minutes with Jesus. Uh, he's going to be thrilled. And so we go into the back room. We've got a little back room. It's basically where you used to keep your shoes, and then we've converted it into sort of a, a makeshift study. And what do I do? I'm like, well, before I go to the Bible or to a Christian book or to prayer, I'm just going to check my emails, check the weather. I'm in the room, I don't need to know the weather, but I check the weather, check the news, check the football scores from the night before, check my bank account. I know how much is not in there, but still I feel obliged to go through this routine of other things. Perhaps check the memories on Facebook to see how cute my children used to look. <laughs> and then I'm like, no, 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 come in here to pray, I'm going to pray. So, read half a chapter of probably the Old Testament, because I'm going to be better than those people that just read their, uh, you know, the popular bits, that they have fridge magnets. So I'm going to read something and find that prayer of Jabez that no one's seen before. So I read half a chapter of an Old Testament and struggle with it, and then the kind interrupts. And um, it's like, oh, Thank the Lord. Oh, you want more food? Let me come and feed you more food. So we feed them uh, uh, more food, and I'm alleviated from having to spend more time in this flipping Old Testament book where I don't understand any of the place names. But I sit down again after feeding them, and I've got 15 good minutes, 15 quality minutes for Jesus. It's going to go really well. I finished the Old Testament, I've managed to finish a chapter. I'm like, the chapter's done. I'm all about quality time, not quantity. Done a chapter, right, I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray for a quarter of an hour and uh, just going to experience heaven on earth. And so I start with that phrase, hello be your name. I get that moment of spending time with God. Oh, you're so good. Next thing, I've woken up after 20 minutes, nice snooze and I'm late for work and the whole day has gone to pot. It is impressive how many times... I have tried to run my prayer life by sheer will and discipline and just good intentions uh, and it all falls apart. And so this morning, I want to help our prayer lives. I want us to remind ourselves that the Holy Spirit is supposed to be in there He wants an active part in our prayer life. We are encouraged by him to spend more face time with the Father. If you've got a Bible, turn to Acts chapter 12. It's on page 1106 if you've got one of the uh, church Bibles. So it says this. Verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. Nice guy. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with the approval among the Jews, who didn't particularly like Christians, this her- heretical sect, um, This uh, King Herod proceeded to seize Peter also. And this happened during the festival of the Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. This guy is not going anywhere. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So it's going to be grim for Pete. And so Pete was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Everyone say praying. Praying. Excellent. Excellent. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping. I always like it when the miracle happens when the person's sleeping. It makes me think that there is hope for me too. So Peter was sleeping when a miracle happened. Uh, He was sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains and the sentry stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. I'm imagining a blazing light, not a little flickering uh, candle, and he struck Peter on the side and said, wake up. He gets this a lot, poor Pete. He has to wake up quite a bit. And uh, sure enough, a miracle happens and he has to wake up. And so he strikes Peter on the side and says, quick, get up. And he said that and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. It's a miracle. And the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter, with like the sleepy dust in his eyes, a little bit dazed, followed him out of the prison. But he had no idea what the angel was doing was really happening. Fantastic. This miracles happening and Peter's like half awake going, it's like a vision or something. I'm quite good at those. I'm not really into miracles first thing in the morning. And so he thought he was seeing a vision and they passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. And I like this bit, the iron gate opens. Doesn't say how or why mysteriously this iron gate uh, moves out the way by itself. And they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Peter barely knew what was happening and suddenly he was alone on the street. He was a wanted man and he was wandering the streets. And Peter came to himself and said, "'Now I know without doubt that the Lord has sent an angel "'and rescued me from Herod's clutches "'and from everything the Jewish people "'were hoping to happen.' When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where people had gathered and were, what does it say? Praying, Excellent. Thank you for those that are uh, following along in the scripture. And Peter knocked at the outer entrance. And we have a little comedy moment, but we're not going to go into it. Peter knocked at the entrance and a servant called Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it. (laughs) And exclaimed, Peter's at the door. So it's a thrilling moment, this wonderful answer to prayer, this moment of a prayer meeting and an answer. Simultaneously in the actual prayer meeting, they have this answer to prayer. And so we have this Herod, and he wants to ingratiate himself with the Jews. He wants to be on their side. He wants to be popular. I don't know if you know anyone like that. And so what he does, he executes one's the sons of thunder. It seems a bit of a loss to be called Sons of the thunder and not really get going into church history. But anyway, James uh, loses his life uh, before the church really starts uh, thundering on. And uh, Peter's arrested, okay, so things aren't looking for Peter. What happened to James? They're expecting to happen to Peter as well. But the church in Jerusalem, they believed in prayer. They were praying when the fire fell at Pentecost. They prayed every day when the, pe- the apostles preached and taught and performed miracles. It prayed as the gospel spread throughout the region. And so Peter gets arrested, there is a threat of death, and so they have a prayer meeting. As they pray in step with the Holy Spirit, God sends a messenger and there's this dramatic prison break. And I believe that this uh, dramatic episode uh, shows us three ways that the Spirit can help our prayer life, where the Spirit helps us to spend more than 10 minutes dozing and drooling on our Bibles. Firstly, uh, and most importantly, the church saw that Peter's life was in danger. It wasn't like, well, we better get another CEO. This guy's had it. Um, let's elect someone else. Let's draw some straws or roll the dice or whatever wacky process. They elected something. They had this guy, Peter. They knew what had happened to James, and they were motivated out of love to pray for him this was an important issue that needed to be dealt with um we're going to play a video maybe if it works if we can make it loud and clear
1: (laughs) you ever had somebody ask you to pray for something so stupid you're just like i ain't praying for that (laughs) you know what i'm saying i ain't praying for that yeah unspoken I'm not praying. Like, you gotta think that this is all over the world, this is all over the planet, people are praying. Widows, orphans, missionaries, disease, war, famine, and the stuff y'all are sending up, this gotta be filtered or blocked or something. Anything coming up from Facebook just needs to be sh- no. Just not. I'm not praying for your son's karate tournament. I ain't praying for that. <laughs> there was a, t- a tornado that came through Nashville and everybody's like, praise report, the tornado missed our house, praise report, what do you think God's up there with a joystick, like yeah, let's get the Jacksons ah. my aunt, God bless her, she lived out in Florida there was a hurricane coming to coming towards their town, and she put in our family group text um, our neighbors have a five million dollar house on the beach and they're very concerned about it, um, can you pray? <laughs> No. <laughs> nah, 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 I ain't praying for that. I ain't no. How are you supposed to pray for that? Jesus, thank her for all the uh, orphans and widows and missionaries. And also, um, you know the Goldsteins?
0: Uh,
1: yeah, uh, from Boca Raton. Yeah, 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 yeah. What's that? Build your house in the rock? Nah, they put it right on the sand. Uh <laughs> <laughs> We just asked, when those floodwaters come ashore, would you just direct those waters around their house, just to other smaller, poorer people's houses?
0: So, we can often fill our lives full of really mediocre prayers. Stuff that we kind of feel obliged to because someone's asked us to do it, but... We kind of like, our heart dies when we pray for things that we have got no passion for and it really won't make any difference in their lives as well. He's, uh, there's this great moment where he's talking about, I'm going to pray for your kid's karate lesson and then he's going to send that fist into that other guy's face and the Lord will come upon and lay him down and reduce him to nothing so that he wins this Trophy, and I think so much of our lives we can be asked to pray for something that really is rubbish. And it is not very polite to say, I ain't praying for that. But I think we need to be aware of what we're praying and what we fill our prayer lives with. Some of us just fill them through poorly thought through requests that we just come again and again and it becomes monotonous and it it becomes just a routine. Dear Lord, just pray for Auntie Agatha's ingrowing toenails and this, that and the other. And this first century example calls us to take on this spirit's agape love and to have sort of uh, a sense of devotion and appreciation for people and to allow this to drive our forward to bigger and brighter prayers. It's really hard to have a dry, boring prayer meeting when we are pleading the desperate case of someone we really love. Where it's not just a remote acquaintance on social media, but it's someone that we know and care about and are devoted to. Some of us have lifeless prayer lives because we're praying for stuff that we don't care about and God I don't know whether this is heretical but it's like supposed to be provocative God doesn't care about it either I think there are things that we can focus our prayer lives on that God goes that's what I'm talking about that is a heart of love that is a prayer that you actually mean secondly it is striking that even with the loss of James, the church goes, right, we're going to step it up. We lost James and we do not want to lose Peter. And so they pray earnestly. And Luke in his text says they prayed earnestly. It was something they cared about. It was something they lent into. If our quiet times consist of duty, if they consist of rigid lists that we have to cover, little uh, uh, tick Points that we have to make sure that we covered. The monotonous uh, uh, boringness of life. Oh Lord, get me to work, get me home from work. Lord God, let me uh, do this and that. May my kid be nice at school. And it's a case of let's pray earnestly for stuff that the hope of the Spirit brings and increases our desire. If we pray to talk to a living God, we might actually get answers. Imagine if you got an answer to your prayer. Imagine if, like this episode in Acts, the prayer was answered while you were praying. And suddenly you go, oh, this works. I hadn't expected that. And finally, the Spirit inspires us. sometimes to have a peculiar faith for things we're supposed to pray out of love we're supposed to pray for hope uh with hope that um you know we're 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 anticipating god working and the final thing that the spirit brings is faith where we ask not just for the bare minimum but we ask for excessive answers that defy explanation. I'm not talking about your son's karate tournament, that they don't just win the tournament, become world champion. I'm not talking about a weather front, not just sort of missing your barbecue, uh, uh, but giving you a, a, a sunny summer. I'm talking about powerful big stuff that forwards his kingdom, that shows his love, that exposes his hand, that changes lives, that defy explanations and he says, well, I don't know what I can say other than the doors open by themselves. It really doesn't take much faith to pray that your paracetamol will deaden your headache. And some of us, that's our prayer life. Lord, make this small thing even smaller. I'm not saying you can't pray for that, but if that, is, um, that takes up the majority of your prayer life, it's going to be dry and dull, and um, I'm not sure you're going to see some good answers. It takes a little bit more faith to ask for the migraines to end permanently. It takes a little bit more faith to raise your eyes up and pray for other people that migraines are the least of their worries and so the spirit prompts these prayers these prayers of faith at certain times and we should be um, aware of him and look out for him i want to end this morning with this classic reading from james if you've got a bible turn to page 1216 and it says this is any one among you in trouble Let him pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you ill? Go to the co-op and get some paracetamol. He doesn't say that. I'm not saying you can't do that, but that's not what James has to bring to the issue. Is anyone ill? Call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. We go through phases of this. uh, I don't know where oil is because no one has sort of asked for it recently. But if you're sick, you're seriously sick and your uh, Medicare's run out or whatever else, come, find a church leader, find an experienced Christian and get them to anoint you with oil. And the oil symbolises the Holy Spirit and goes, you know what, we want to see a healing here. And then it goes on, and it's a little bit difficult, a little bit awkward, but what am I going to do, edit this bit out of the scripture? And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. Everyone say, will. will. There's a certain certainty there, which is a bit awkward when our prayers don't work. But this is what James says, it will make the person well. And the Lord will raise them up. And then, a little bit awkward, if they have sinned, they'll be forgiven. Oh. <laughs> yeah, we'll move on. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. That is a prayer meeting I'd like to go to. You know, or we're sitting here, you go, yeah, I'm sick and these are all my sins. But it goes on. Um, Prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, Oh, I like the sound of that. I'd like prayers to do something rather than just for me to say things in quiet where it doesn't feel like anyone hears and I don't get any reward in this life anyway. And it goes on. Elijah was a human being, all right? Even as you are, even as we are. And he prayed earnestly. Do you see that word again? Earnestly. When was the last time you prayed earnestly? Not that I'll pray for it and then I'll just get on with doing it. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain. You're like, whoa, what sort of prayer is that? Well, that's what he did. And it didn't rain on the land for three and a half years. That is an answer to prayer. And then again he prayed and the heavens gave rain and the earth produced its crops. It's not the whole story. If you're like wondering what this sort of uh, a maniacal control freak is wanting to do, stopping and starting the weather, there's a broader story that we'd explore another time. But the power of prayer, power of prayer in accordance with the Spirit, in accordance with God's will, in, a, in accordance with righteousness, you know, in an internal uh, rightness with God. And it goes on. Uh, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth uh, and someone should bring that person back, remember this whoever turns a sinner from the error of the ways will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. So my encouragement to you this morning is pray and perhaps don't pray lists, don't pray all the minutiae of life that other people demand you pray, but that isn't really going to change anything. It's... Faithful prayers, hopeful prayers, loving prayers that the Spirit wants to awaken in us and see things change. I'm going to close in, quite appropriately, prayer. Bear your heads. Heavenly Father, I pray for us all that we would all have healthy prayer lives. Lord God, I pray that you would enjoy spending time with us, Whenever we carve out a moment in our day, whether it's early morning, whether it's midday, whether it's late at night, that you would enjoy spending time with us, that we would learn what you care about, and that we would pray for it, and we would see things change. God, we want to see miracles happen in the lives of the people we love. We want to see lives change. We want to see your hand move. We want to see sick people get well. God, we want to see troubled people delivered. Lord God, we want to see people that don't know you miraculously meet you and become Christians. We want to see the kingdom of God in our midst. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would send the Holy Spirit so that our prayer lives are like ones that you are interested in and do something about. Lord God, I pray this all. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. Well, uh, I hope you don't feel too condemned or too lost on the subject, uh, but I just wanted us to sort of finish this series that your private life, these moments uh, in your rooms where no one else is watching is a place where you really can see God move and things change. And um, that should be the sort of, big bit underneath the tip of the iceberg.